This week, the show turns 200 episodes old. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian and this is a very special 200th episode of the podcast. It's not really all that special. We're just going to talk about Blade. Why are we going to talk about Blade? Because it's another movie from the late 90s, early 2000s that for some reason or another I never got around to seeing and everyone's like, hey, you haven't seen it, so there it is. We're going to do it. Um, But yeah, as always, you know, 200 episodes in. We're over four and a half years into the show, and we're still, like, just barely treading water. We really want to build that audience. So, hey, subscribe to the podcast. Share it on your social media feeds because, you know, spread the love. And, uh, you know, if you want to hit us up with show ideas and that kind of thing or just congratulate us on on never giving up on this thing, uh, hit us up. We're on Twitter. We're at MagHuge, M-A-G-H-U-G-E. We're on Facebook and Instagram as the Magnificently Huge Podcast. You can email magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. And for all of all of that stuff, links to that, for all the old episodes of the show, you can uh, hit us up on maghuge.com. That's our website. Um, hey, we're still here. We're still talking movies and stuff. And we... Oh, just get on with it. Hey, it's the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Sure is. I'm Eric. Hi, Eric. I'm Brian. Hey, I'm Chris. I'm having some Cheez-Its. <laughs> yeah, Chris. Oh, because we that was so good you, until his mouth was full. Yeah. You, you know, like people who listen to podcasts regularly know for a fact there's nothing worse than having somebody chew food in your oh, goddamn God. ear while you're listening to it. <laughs> oh, nothing. I'm sorry. I don't know anything about this. Sorry. Chris is in no, Texas. I'm in Arizona, and I think I can smell the Cheez-Its from here. So, <laughs> you know. You know. All right. Welcome, anyway, welcome it's to the another show, show, everybody. This is yeah. uh, momentous. This is uh, 200 shows. This That's especially. right. It's the 200th episode of the Magnificent Huge Podcast, and we did nothing special for it. In fact, nothing at all. we probably don't have a whole lot of gas in the tank, because we're actually recording this back-to-back with the previous episode. Mm-hmm. So our voices are going to be tired. We're going to be tired. Yeah. We've got nothing. So in other words, you're in for a treat. What does that do? <laughs> you're not yeah. selling it, dude. Yeah. There's been honestly, 200 episodes of this. Yeah, honestly. This why is how I make two- a living. I just bought a boat. What are you doing? Oh, God. <laughs> why would the 200th episode be any different from the previous 199 in quality or entertainment value? I mean, it's just, that's my thinking. So. Well, we're 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 in the season now where the budgets have been cut, and so we put a little less effort into it because it's been going on for a while. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I invite our listeners to go back and listen to episode 100, which was our other big momentous show, uh, where we basically talked about uh, sitcom spinoffs. I think it was. <laughs> so that was another show where we didn't care. So that's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome. Oh uh, yeah. Does anybody have any other fresh shit that they want to talk about this week? This shit is fresh! Oh, shit. That is fresh. 
fresh. This stuff is really fresh. Oh man, I have tons. Uh, let's see. Really? Okay. He I, had nothing uh, in the last show, so this is good. He was saving it up. He was saving it up. <laughs> I was planning. Yeah, this yeah. is called a plan. Exactly. Okay. I, I didn't think you were going to give me away, though, and say that we were doing it back to back. I thought you'd just Nobody be like... Nobody cares. Huh? Yeah. Like, huh? 20 people listen to the show. Yeah, people love the behind the curtain <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the making of the Magnificent Huge podcast. That's on VH1. Oh. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, uh, 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 Tim and Eric's bedtime stories. Have you have you watched this at all? Oh Lord, Mm-mm. it the, is. So I, I know awesome. enough about Tim and Eric to know not to watch it right before yeah. bed. They are uh, <laughs> fucking great. It's it's basically them doing a uh, an anthology series, right? I mean, it, it has all the the earmarks of uh, uh, maybe a Twilight Zone or an American Horror Story, and it's just like one off episodes, and they are full on Tim and Eric ish. Uh, here's a clip. I guarantee you in two short weeks, I'll turn you from a little shit boy to a successful businessman. Be a baby. I'm talking about the Google. I'm talking about the Gaga. I'm talking about drinking the milk. milk, milk. <laughs> this milk ain't from your mama's tits. If you don't follow our system, you get a baby spank. If the be a baby system works for me, it'll work for you. You see what I mean? It's, it's like that. Uh... <laughs> Tim, Tim and Eric is best best watched on a significant amount of drugs, I believe. Yes. I disagree. Oh. I think really? the drugs actually take away from it. I think well. you, you, you need to watch it uh, like completely straight and go, oh my God, this is for real. Yeah, they've, they've never been my aesthetic. I'm going to be honest with you. I wish I could say I love them, but uh, they just, they're just weird enough to turn me off most of the time. So... This this from a guy who loved Syphil and Ollie back in the day. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Anyway, t- tell uh, us more, Eric. Yeah. Uh, so several episodes, all weird. One is a doctor who uh, uh, his he he chops people's toes off. They come in to get their toes removed because they think their toes are ugly, and he he becomes addicted to eating. The, you know all the toes it's that kind of shit it's just <laughs> gross and crazy and wonderful and and the funny thing are the, the 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 caliber of guest stars which makes me realize that the world now understands how awesome tim and eric are uh but yeah i guess you got to be into them i don't know if maybe you 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 lost track of them after uh great show good job that you know uh, know honestly, stuff, I, I mean, they did a bunch of that Adult Swim stuff, uh, but I just never, it just never clicked with me. I don't know what to tell you. It just, it was always a little bit too much. Uh, <laughs> it, it's funny because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to bring this for fresh shit, but, but this reminds me of, and I think Tim and Eric are sort of a precursor of and a harder edge version of, but have you seen the Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun on Netflix? No, no. It's, it's the same kind of thing. It's a comedy troupe from Australia that are that are just absurd. Uh, Eric, if you're if you're down with the Tim and Eric, I'd I'd cue that one up. Oh yeah, right on. Okay. Uh, the other thing I saw was a movie from 2009 that somehow I never caught, and I thought this was this is really gonna suck, and I really loved it. Uh, uh, and I can't believe I just spaced the name of it. Uh, Role models. Oh, with uh, um, Paul Rudd. Yeah. 
and and I have and, not and seen Stifler. it. Stifler. <laughs> um, it's actually pretty good, and it's uh, David Wayne really directed is. it. Is uh, one of the guys from the state. It's a very and, uh, solid use of the Kiss song "Beth." I will give it yeah extra points for that. Yes. Yeah, it's like this. This movie, it's 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 got all the earmarks of complete shit, right? The kind of thing they would show on Comedy Central because Comedy Central buys cheap, awful movies. You know, like <laughs> like as as it started, I was like, oh great, it's National Lampoon's um, role models. But no, it's <laughs> it's well written. It's funny. It's one of the best Paul Rudd um, performances. Yeah. It, I, yeah, I, I, you got to see this movie. It's I like I like the beginning because basically uh, Paul Rudd and Stifler. I'll just I'll forever call him Stifler. That's just me. Me too. Uh, but they work for like a Monster Energy drink uh, type company, and they're doing like this weird promo thing where they have to talk to kids at this school, and then you find out that their lives are just totally wrecked, and then they wind up on community service and have to be like uh, big brother mentors to these kids. And oh that boy. sort of sets the plot into motion. So Paul Rudd gets right. hooked up with uh, McLovin, uh, who's like a kid that is really dorky and does LARPing and such. And then Stifler gets hooked. Sounds like more and more like American Pie presents it's, role models. It's kind of, you think, you, you think that's what they're going through. Uh, and Stifler gets hooked up with this little kid who's just this sassy yeah, little nobody, asshole. He has, he has shot down like the last six big brother types they've, they've <laughs> yeah. hooked him up with because he is just an asshole and just the worst. But this, you know, Stifler ends up connecting with him over a joint love of boobs. Yeah. And basically he says, <laughs> you think I don't see those boobs over there or that one over there or how those mountains, what do those mountains look like? <gasps> boobs. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then, it's really it's really yeah. great because he is such a a a a unevolved you know man child that he's perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's so rare to find another guy that likes boobs. I, I can see why this would be like unique for this kid. No, into <laughs> boobs on the level that like an eight year old boy is into boobs. Yeah, that's okay. that's the, the it's, difference. It's one of the running jokes. And so anyway, it's so rare to find another guy that's into yeah. boobs the way an eight year old. Boy. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, but hilarity eventually ensues where they almost uh, endanger these uh, youngsters in their shenanigans, and then uh, they all learn a lesson by the end. But it's got a lot of heart. I was surprised by that when I watched it. So, yeah, it's funny. That's a, a proper choice, Eric. Uh, I, yeah, I it was you. very good. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, I guess, yeah, there, there was more stuff, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. You guys go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Because okay. I watched a ton of stuff, unlike last week, where I didn't do anything. Well, give us one, <laughs> other, give us one other thing that was uh, something you watched that was part of this ton of stuff. Uh, great, great show on... Uh, HBO Espana, I guess, called uh, Entre Hombres, and it's you know these 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 thieves who just are low rent and wreck shit. And uh, I didn't get to watch all of it because we left Mexico, but and I can't find it here. So if you manage to somehow get a hold of this thing, or you know, write your your cable operator and request that they get yeah. this show because it's funny and weird. Did you have oh, subtitles cable on it? company and say, I want my entree hombres. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, 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 I didn't have any subtitles and that just made it weirder. Okay. That sounds like a Tim and Eric kind of a show right there. <laughs> it, like it reminded me actually, it might've been Spanish, not Mexican. It had a feel of those, those really, uh, what's his name? 
Almoldovar, but okay, yeah, Pedro Almodovar. doing Pulp Fiction, yeah, Almodovar doing Pulp Fiction. That's kind of what it felt like. Okay, Alfonso right. Alfonso Cuaron presents role models. <laughs> That's what you should give. <laughs> <laughs> well done. There you have it. Ah, uh, okay. Good times. All right. Good I, times. I can I can do some fresh shit. Um, yeah, so you see him and you raise him, right, Brian? You throw him right. into the pot. So, um, so my first one is part of a series of movies from the early 2000s that you don't believe I haven't seen, as well as it's thematically linked with our show's main topic. Okay. Uh, I made it all the way through Pan's Labyrinth this time. Um, really? I don't had like, not I don't finished like that Pan's one. Labyrinth That's before. never been a favorite of mine. I liked, I liked El Toro, but that one just got way too many plaudits, and I... Couldn't figure out why. Mm. It's. I, I think the thing about it was that it was a fantasy, but in the sort of grim fairy tales sense, in that the fantasy world is dark and menacing and really not kid friendly. Yeah. Um, you know, it is a. It, it is a lion and the witch in the wardrobe scenario where there's a little girl who can can travel to this fantasy realm. Um. The, and it's a lot also of the effects set are during the, makeup effects. It's also it's set during the Spanish Civil War, which a lot of people don't realize was like hardcore awful. I mean, yeah. it yeah. was that was super it, fucked up. Yeah, you gotta you gotta read about uh, Generalissimo Francisco Franco and his life. Uh, it's yeah, and what he did to that country. It was brutal. Which I and I just as a sidebar, I would also recommend uh, on that topic George Orwell wrote a book called homage to Catalonia where he actually mm. went and fought, uh, against the fascists and that's his book about it. So sort of like his, uh, pseudo memoir about it. That's eye opening, really. Cause you find yeah. out how just terrible it was. Anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah, this is, this is del Toro basically, I think really sort of establishing his brand a little more firmly yeah. in terms of, you know, he's doing a lot of practical makeup effects with Doug Jones and, He's not just he's not just interested in commercial product. He's interested in telling these weird little things that appeal to him. And it's a Spanish language film. Uh, it's fully subtitled, and and so it's him pushing, you know, Spanish language filmmaking into the mainstream. I agree with you, Chris. It's not a wow. That was a transcendent movie. The way that it was being played up in in the yeah. marketing and in the press at the time. Um, but it's. I mean, it's a good movie. It's it's a grim little fucker of a movie. Yeah, I mean, it looks it looks cool, but you know, it's to me, it's actually that was the part that that appealed to me the least. I thought, and that's why I bounced off of it the first time. I thought that I was going in for visual razzle dazzle when I first went to went to watch it back in the day. Yeah, and doesn't really have the visual razzle dazzle that they advertise it as having. If you just go into it trying to meet the movie on its terms, it's a better film. Okay, I what I liked about that film. I, I remember respecting it because he did like just about nothing. Uh, uh, there, there was very little digital effects work. Mm -hmm. And right. the only stuff that was in there was because they couldn't get around it. And he hated doing it. But he was like, oh, fuck, fine. All right, we'll do that digitally. But otherwise, everything is in camera. Uh, but it, it makes further sense because all of this shit that's going on. The question is, is it real or is it in her head? And so by making right, right. it all real, it's all real. And it looks it. I mean, when you have like that army of like, I can't remember what it was, but they were all puppets. It was like, 
this thing where you you would have easily said, yeah, we got to do this digitally. It's too weird. No, he just had a lot of puppets, but they didn't look like puppets. And I, yeah, well, this one, maybe the drugs would work for. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> but it's also the more of his films you watch, the more you see how much he repurposes his own ideas and motifs. Because a lot of the stuff that he sort of test ran in this one winds up in weird spots in like Hellboy 2. It's just, a, it's a strange deal. Uh, yeah, he, well, and he's, his, his trailer for his next movie just dropped this week, and it basically looks like, oh, look, it's more yeah. of the lady in water, yeah. you know? Well, if you, <laughs> yeah. if you want, like, early 2000s Del Toro, uh, I would recommend Devil's Backbone. That is probably my favorite movie of his, because it's, like, a, it takes place, again, around the Franco era in Spain, and it's a kid in an orphanage that's being haunted and it's just that's a really dark, grim sort of movie, but it it works because it's still got some heart to it. But it's it's all mood, so I would recommend you find that one out at some point. And so then my other movie pick this week, um, this is on Hulu right now, and it's it's from about I think two thousand and thirteen or so, or I don't remember exactly when it something like that. Um, this is a Twilight Zone concept, but done in a lighter tone. This is the Brass Teapot. I do Uh, know The Brass brass Teapot is, it stars Juno Temple, and she does a good job of acting in this one, um, as a wife of this young millennial couple that are just broke as shit, you know, and, and dealing with their student loans and the bad job market and all of that's post, you know... Uh, post crash and they come across a magical teapot and the teapot spits out money if you hurt yourself <laughs> or so this is a this is a magical magical object that rewards pain and shenanigans ensue so um, like, a, like a like a monkey's paw kind of a deal yeah yeah and and it it has good ideas and i think my I like it, but it 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 works in and then sometimes it doesn't work. And when it mostly doesn't work is when it wimps out. Uh because they could have taken this concept so much further and they could have been nastier and darker with it and they weren't. Um but I also enjoyed it on its terms. I just wanted more, I guess, is what I'm thinking. Can you imagine I, that concept directed by David Cronenberg? I mean, the moment oh. you said that, I had much better ideas than is probably in that movie. You that definitely like, have yeah. a different movie in your head. But that, yeah. Sounds, yeah. that sounds like Videodrome, that one. No, this is more about having a plot device <laughs> to encourage these characters to hurt each other in various ways. Okay. Um, but uh, but it's, it's good. Uh, you know, three and a half stars. It's not going to change the world. But I, uh, I'll recommend it. The Brass Teapot. It's on okay. Hulu. Okay. Hulu. That's where all the, the Hulu. hits go. That's- Chris, Who bring knew? us home. What do you got? <laughs> Who knew Hulu? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Shut up. I hate myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on Amazon Prime, I found one of my favorite BB shows, BBC shows ever. Uh, it's called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. And it's an early oh, series. Yeah, I with, this one with uh, Richard Ayoade, 
who most people know as mm-hmm. Moss from the IT crowd. Uh, and they basically, the conceit is that it's uh, a short-lived horror show from the 80s uh, that is getting a resurgence that's written, directed, uh, produced, and starring the author Garth Marenghi, who's like a really just awful horror writer that somehow has a name. And so they do all these like uh, just sci-fi horror whatever type episodes, but the the production value is so obviously cheap and he's so inept that it's just like watching uh, student films over and over and over, but they get it so pitch perfect spot on right that you forget that you're watching a spoof of bad 80s television <laughs> at times. <laughs> And it's just, it's flabbergastingly good. And there's only like six or eight episodes. But from the theme song on down to the acting, to the way they shoot the scenes, it's just incredible. But it's, uh, <laughs> Matthew Holness is the guy who plays Garth Marenghi, who's playing a doctor called Rick Daglas in this hospital called Dark Place, where all these weird supernatural things tend to happen. Uh, Matt Barry, who we all know from like, this is what we do in the shadows and it crowd and toast of London and whatever. The guy's a fucking genius. Uh, he, he plays, uh, Dr. Rick Sanchez or something. I can't remember his name. Richard Iowati plays the hospital administrator. Uh, and they just do all these ridiculous, like should be just gobsmackingly horrific in your face tales. And they're so ineptly done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just every, and it's just so funny and then they intersperse it with uh, these fake interviews with principals uh, from the show talking about it like it was a real thing that they did back in the 80s uh, to kind of lend some sort of uh, you know serendipitous element to it uh, and it's just crazy but it's like think of like Danger 5 but Danger 5 done like a serious program that they're spoofing that's kind of the vibe that Garth Marenghi gives you. Uh, and it's genius. I would urge anybody to go out and watch this thing. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now, but I think it's on a couple other bits. You can find them on YouTube. Uh, but it's just genius. Mwah, chef's kiss to that one. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, a lot of my free time has been sucked up by watching, oddly, for whatever reason, uh, a lot of old Humphrey Bogart movies just there there's a few that have popped up on like hbo and so i just started watching him so i've seen to have and have not which was the first movie with him and lauren bacall the one with the you know how to kiss or you know how to whistle don't you You put your lips together and blow which is the big scene from that but she was like 20 years old in that thing and that was where they met and started their love affair and he's like twice her age so it's kind of gross <laughs> when you know that so bit very of history. hollywood yeah so it's gross when you know that bit of history uh but it's a fun movie that's based on the hemingway story walter brennan shows up as his goofy walter brennan persona not like walter brennan from like uh the you go ahead and show if you want <laughs> yeah basically he basically is like this like bumbling alcoholic doofus in this thing that just kind of is the the mascot for Humphrey Bogart's character. Uh, but it takes place in a, a f- I can't remember the island, but it's a, it's a French uh, colony right at the outbreak of World War II. And so the Vichy are uh, slowly taking over. And so there's that specter of fascism. They were red, you were blue. Yeah. yeah. 
but it's this it's a weird uh echo of Casablanca just done slightly differently uh so it's strange and then I watched Key Largo which was done a few years later and that's the one after the war where Bogart goes down to Key Largo to visit the family of his war buddy who's died uh in Italy and then it's during a hurricane in the off season the hotel's empty and there's gangsters led by Edward G. Robinson have taken over the hotel because they're basically smuggling him back into the country to do a big deal and make a lot of money. And then chaos ensues. Uh, and that's a John Houston movie, so there's a lot of like dark, shadowy, noirish elements. It's fun. It's whatever. But the capper was my wife saw me watching these, and she's like, okay, we're going to watch We're No Angels, which is a movie from her childhood that she loves. And one, you know, just the got Peter a Houston to go off see. one or the remake? No, no, not the fucking remake with De Niro and Sean Penn. Fuck you, <laughs> Peter Ustinov. Okay, <laughs> yeah, the original, the one with uh, Bogart, Peter Ustinov, Aldo Ray, uh, Basil Rathbone is in it, and uh, Leo G. Carroll, Topper. Uh, no one will get that reference, but uh, that that it's just such a weird because it's supposed to be a comedy, but it's like arsenic and old lace is a comedy. It's got that sort mm-hmm. of vibe to it, where there, there are three escaped convicts from Devil's Island prison who wind up in the seaport town on Devil's Island to make their escape back to Paris, and they fall in with a, a, like a general shop owner who doesn't know what he's doing, and then they develop a bond of friendliness, and then they decide to help him, and then people end up dead and hilarity ensues but it's bogart trying to do comedy which he's never been very good at and it's just astonishing to try to watch (laughs) so it's just this weird technicolor marvel uh that is is a lesser classic i guess i should say but it's still reasonably fun i guess but uh yeah when you watch him in that or something like uh sabrina it's like Bogart just can't do comedy, and he shouldn't. Yeah. And I'm just gonna go on record with that. <laughs> you know, I this it's funny. This week I was reading something about film noir, and uh, I guess at some point somebody was talking to Robert Mitchum about those movies, and yeah. Robert Mitchum said we we never called them film noir. We called them B movies because yeah. they were just yeah exactly. they were not they were not a big deal. It was just like that we we were shooting it on a shoestring. And, you know, you do what you can with what you have. What they ended up with was something that years later the French would look at and go, oh, look at, look at how fantastic this is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very I, cyclical. And the irony is, though, that, like, after the age of the noir, uh, all these kids who grew up to be filmmakers would be like, I want to make a film noir. And so they would do all the affectations and... It would just not work. I oh yeah, that's right. I was reading a, a an article about body double, uh, body okay. heat. Sorry, body heat, and it was okay. that was basically the big criticism. Somebody was trying to make a noir film, but they didn't have to because they had money, right? <laughs> well, I mean, that was like Warner Brothers Studios. That was their big staple product. Was the like the gangster noir whatever uh, that it became. And so you, they were on the bottom of the pile back then. They were yeah. like one of the shit studios. Yeah, they definitely weren't doing the big epics and whatnot. So yeah. you get a lot of you get a lot of fun ones. But uh, so kind of like nowadays with Warner's. But oh, 
Kind of, except they're not they're not superhero <laughs> movies, you know. So you kind of do what you can. But the but the ones with Bogart and Lauren Bacall, they're they're fun because they obviously have chemistry, and it's palpable. I mean, every movie that they've done together, uh, I think my favorite is probably Big Sleep, because she's just like a, a man eater in that one. And he's like, even though he's Sam Spade, he's in so over his head with her in that movie. It's so fun to watch. So definitely femme fatale with a capital F. I just have this image though, of uh, like at the bar, uh, Humphrey Bogart is talking to uh, Mankiewicz, the, the, the screenwriter. Yeah. You see that one over there? I'm fucking her. I can write something better than that for you. Okay. Don't say that anymore. I can just shut up and I'll seriously. <laughs> so it's, it's fun. It's good. Uh, but yeah, the, the only real weird trivia that I garnered from any of these viewings was to have and to have not one of the gangsters is, or no, not to have and have not. It was an, uh, yeah, it was to have and have not one of the, the French Vici like secret police guys, uh, was, what's his name leonard sheldon i think it was he would go on to produce like the andy griffith show and other classics of the 60s era <laughs> i'm like i had no idea that he was an actor so everybody's gone by now i'm gonna quit talking so like like part of the the what did they call that the in the 60s all of the hillbilly shows he, he did he did those uh I can't remember. I think I want to say like Green Acres and the Beverly Hillbillies and, and that kind of stuff. Right. Let me to the Google oh, real quick because jeez, uh, nobody cares. Because now I'm curious. <laughs> uh, we'll edit this part out. I think yeah. <laughs> the search, the search. Yeah. Dick Van Dyke show. Danny Thomas, my favorite Martian. I spy Lassie. Oh. Okay, there you go. Okay. Anyway, All right. uh, so yeah, a bunch of film noir and Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Okay. Thanks. All right. So, um, I do have a little thing that I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little extra effort in on this because it is our 200th episode. Okay. Um, I had we had been talking about what we were gonna do for the 200th episode, and I've I've wanted to do a clip show. We're not gonna do a clip show. That's way too much work, folks. But I am gonna give you a small taste <laughs> of the beginner's guide to the magnificently huge podcast. Here is I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna find it. I don't even know as I'm saying this which episode I'm gonna have to dig this out of. But I'm going to explain the Incredible Hulk joke. Uh, this would have been from the one where you had us watch the uh, I Frankenstein. It's on iFrank. Cool. I'm sure he, of it. He just saved me so much time. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if I'm um, right, it, th- I thought it cool. was on the so, uh, the. I thought fuck it was you! On the, Don't uh, do it! Don't okay. do it! Okay. <laughs> 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 oh, hey everybody! Brian from the future here. Just to let you know, it wasn't any of that episodes. I had to look and look and look for this. It's actually episode nine of the podcast, the Zucker Abraham Zucker episode. Okay, back to the show. So, so here's the deal. We record the show in three different cities and, and, you know, technical difficulties. Sometimes we're, we're on, uh, you know, a, on some kind of a video conferencing call, a hangout or a Slack call or whatever. And, and sometimes one of us just drops, especially in Eric's old house where his internet was, was provided by Awful. Satan. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and let's face it. Part of the purpose of this show is to get Eric to lose his shit. On mic, and <laughs> this is this is one of my favorite examples of that. Uh, Eric 
connection to us cut out and we were trying to talk and he was trying to bring up the Incredible Hulk and we just could not hear him. And here's the raw audio of that. This one goes off of that path, but somehow you don't mind. It's It still remains true enough to the characters that it works as a Spider-Man film. What I like about what uh, I've read about it is that they they just didn't even bother with the origin story. Uh, not a bit. Which I, I applaud. Uh, that might actually be the first non-sequel uh, superhero movie in the modern uh, era that just didn't bother with that. They just assume well, everybody I mean, knows what it is, and then boom. The Michael Keaton Batman was that way, um, more or less. But I'm talking modern era. Incredible I'm, like Hulk. Modern era. I'm talking about uh, since Marvel sort of turned yeah. it into a Incredible Hulk, new Western thing. Incredible Hulk. Incredible yeah, I Hulk. Guess I, I guess so. I'm not sure if there's any ones where the hero is kind of fully formed anymore. That was one Incredible of the Hulk? Heath Ledger's Joker was that he was fully formed. You guys can't hear me, can you? Not very well. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're just, I just said Incredible Hulk like 14 times like a child. Incredible Hulk! That's going to oh. be awesome to hear on the, the actual recording. <laughs> yeah. Incredible Hulk! <laughs> guys! <laughs> No, we're just we're just casually ignoring you. Oh, was that Eric? Yeah, that's I, I, that Eric. I oh. suddenly realized. Oh, yeah, it's Eric. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, Eric's here, everybody. Oh. All right, tell us what you saw, Eric, so we can uh, at least uh, make you feel like you're important. Uh, I was supposed to watch that so billions Chris, show, but it looked dumb, so I just watched a bunch of porn. <laughs> yeah, like every every time <laughs> every time Eric talks, we'll just start talking. <laughs> Sorry. Probably just as well that the, the audio quality on this thing is ass. It's so loud. I gotta whisper so that it doesn't go into the red. <laughs> so Everything is horrible. <laughs> Everything about my life is horrible. <laughs> God damn it. Uh. <laughs> this is the worst podcast ever. <laughs> That was good oh, times. Oh God! I, it's times. worth. I should point out in my real life. Okay, people do not <laughs> listen to me. This is not a joke. I will like say something in a meeting, and people will like hear it and keep talking like they didn't hear it, and then I'll say it again minutes later, and they will. It's it's crazy how people just don't hear me. So when that happened on the show, I was like, I just need to jump out of a very high window. Because yeah. you didn't even think that it would be technical difficulties. It's just we're ignoring him. It's basically exactly. <laughs> so anyway, if you ever hear us go Incredible Hulk, Incredible Hulk, that's because we think one of our mics is, has stopped being heard by the other two. And yeah. there yeah. you it's go. A little bit of mag Eric. huge history for the yeah. 200th episode. Thanks, Brian. All right. So... Uh, the thing we actually did land on is yet another movie from, well, this one's actually from 98 that I hadn't seen that everybody's like, really? You hadn't seen it? And well, that was Blade. Well, to, to preface this, uh, when we did a, a show not too long ago, the, the blockbusters that did not disappoint, uh, I gave a shout out to Blade. And that's when we found out that you had never seen it. And yeah. I was floored because if you watch Marvel movies at all in this day and age, you should at least have some sort of knowledge of Blade. Because I hadn't seen any of yeah. the three of them. Well, you know, I remember all. thinking there was so little that was in the theater that was worth watching that you kind of ended up seeing it just, you know, out of by default yeah. because nothing else was playing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it hit yeah. that sweet spot because it comes out in 98. So literally 
the only stuff that had been coming out prior would be the Superman and Batman stuff. Marvel had never done a successful movie up to that stage. And it sort of sets the the blueprint for how they could kind of do something that made money. And they made the smart decision to do it as an R-rated film, which I thought yes. in retrospect Shockingly. Is, is astonishing given that uh, they're doing an untested superhero movie in a time when people weren't really doing movies that didn't have the total brand name recognition and they just went yeah. for it. And I'm like, it cool. It, it seemed like schlock to me at the time. Like it seemed like this just kind of like whatever low budget, you know, we shit these out kind of, kind of movies, you know, of, of the sort that like maybe a few years later, the underworld movies, which clearly yes. are just blade wannabes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you got to also remember that Wesley Snipes had been trying to have a hit for a few years there. And so it was like, there was always some new Wesley Snipes actioner coming out that was going to make you roll your eyes. Yeah. And I think this uh, was just like one of many. Yeah. Yeah. Cause up to that point, his biggest hit was probably uh white men can't jump. And that was several years before. So yeah, he was definitely looking for something. So uh, and, and this was also right before the Matrix, and you can stylistically see a yes. lot of the same stuff going on. Exactly. Yeah. It, it made me wonder, and, like, did they have the same production designer, or did they hang out with the Wachowskis and go, "Well, oh, we should do this. I'll beat you to it." I don't know. I I was wondering that too because there's no they had to be being made contemporaneously, right? So maybe it was just that they were both watching Ghost in the Shell or something. Mm, um. I, yeah. Or, but. Well, I think yeah, it's, it was shocking how how much uh, of the Matrix aesthetic is is present in this film before yeah. the Matrix. Well, it's not even the same company, so yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting question. But I don't Comic-Con think Comic Con was starting to become a thing. I mean, it had been going on for years, but it was starting to become something that people with money who make movies were going to to find out what they should be doing. Yeah, I mean, maybe you know, maybe the Ghost in the Shell reference is you know absolutely correct yeah well i mean just the well okay so for people that at this stage are probably still scratching their heads because they don't know what blade is uh a uh where you been uh but b it's he's blade is a vampire hunter who's part vampire himself he's called a damper and so he's got all of the strengths of the vampire but he can walk in the sun he can't get infected by the vampires because he's already part uh and he's just super strong, super fast. He knows martial arts. He has uh, a weapons guy named Whistler who hits him up like Q. And they basically just hunt and kill the vampires feeding on the human populace. And the, that's, the disease, uh-huh. though, is slowly taking over. Like, yeah. I, I believe that's the thing. Is eventually he will be full vampire. Yeah. They're just staving it off. Cons- consumed by the thirst. Uh, right. And I guess this had been kicking around since at least 92. I read that LL Cool J was at the first right? act, like, actor of name yeah. attached to, to do it. And I thought, that's just weird. I could not picture that at all. <laughs> uh, and it just like everything superhero at the time, it just sort of languished in development. Uh, and then... But this, this, is, this is the point at which... This is the movie everybody points to is sort of like... The 90s version of superhero movies completely self implodes with Batman and Robin. Right. In and like this, 96. Well, that was like 97. And this came out the year later. Was it? 
Yeah. Okay, and this this is like the path forward. This leads to X Men and Spider Man. This yeah, also does not later. feel like a superhero movie. I mean, we like superhero movies. I think up to this point are strictly guys in tights who fly and shit. You know, it's yeah. like I don't mm-hmm. think that anyone would have mistaken this for a superhero movie. Uh I mean, it's got the elements, but yeah, it's definitely more of an actioner than a straight-up superhero kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, so maybe it, they just point to it because it was the first Marvel Comics character to do well in the movies in yeah, a long time. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it, and they, they were smart enough to do it with a lesser-known character uh, so that it, if it failed, it wouldn't tarnish uh, any of the big wigs. Right. So that was a, a smart move on their part. Uh, but when, then you get David Goyer, who would go on to do all the DC stuff, like the Batman stuff with Nolan and whatnot. Uh, he wrote all three of the Blade movies, and, and it's definitely a law of diminishing returns as you go along. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've seen any others, Brian, but... Uh, no, I haven't. I, I've wow. heard the third one is awful. The ah. second one heralds the, 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 the arrival of Guillermo del Toro on the scene, which is the thematic link to Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen either of them. I I hadn't seen any of the Blade movies. I did watch the first one and yeah, yeah, um, it it was surprisingly hard hitting, right? Like they went for it. It's, this is kind of the movie that the Spawn movie wanted to be. Exactly. Does that That's, make sense? I, yeah, when I watched it again, that was one of the first things that popped into my head. I'm like, oh, because we'd watched Spawn again a couple of years ago. And so it was, oh, it was Spawn in the brain. So bad. And uh, exactly. Yeah. But it's also they they used the the nascent computer effects sparingly in this one, which I applaud them for because mm-hmm. they I think they knew that it wasn't quite ready. Because I guess the the original finale was that uh, Deacon Frost, the main baddie, turns into the vampire god, and then it was supposed to be like this swirling tornadic uh, blood thing, and they couldn't get it right. And so they scrapped that and then did the fight scene at the end instead, which works and actually makes the movie that much better. Because if they'd have done some Spawn-related <laughs> goofy CG thing, it would have just ruined it completely. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, they, they, they went up to the edge there. Like, the CG towards the end of this movie does get a little, you know, of its yeah. time, we'll say. But it is it, it is true that... The thing that they are probably the best at doing in CG in general is blood. Yeah. And this movie probably pushed that CG blood technology forward by a couple good steps. <laughs> probably. But the, yeah. But the cast is just, I don't know. It's not amazing. The, it, you know what? Now that you mentioned, I think the, the big uh, advantage this film, the smart thing this film did was show restraint where it had to. Uh, right. it, you know, they mm-hmm. didn't do more than they could get away with. Tracy Lords is only in it for five minutes. That yeah. says something right there. She, right. she's not worth much more. I was afraid actually when I was watching this, ah, oh, shit, is this a Tracy Lords movie? Nope, nope. nope she's dead fast. Dead, but yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I love it that they, they started in the, the, is it a uh, European disco rave? Why? Of course it is. How can you tell? Cause everybody's dressed trashily. You know, there's techno music playing. <laughs> I mean, it's like all the staples that we come to love for shit like that. Um, uh, that but, was one of the but first. But then they turned it into the vampire thing because they they 
filled the sprinkler systems with blood and blood, yeah. set it off, which uh, that was actually kind of fun. Yeah. And then um, he's using like the silver spikes and what. So every time he dispatches a vampire, it like burns into ash. And then you see that later in stuff like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And so it's uh, just interesting all the little things that you did kind of take for granted on the other pop culture stuff. But I, I look at it, I'm like, did that actually come from Blade? Is this ground zero for that? And so it's just a weird <laughs> beast of a movie because it's it's like it's like a Mobius strip. It's like, well, I can't tell if this is where it started or if this is just where it followed through. I mean, it's just a weird movie. Uh, yeah, I think it was probably the point at which it gelled. Like people had been coming toward this for years. I mean, hell, our last show was about Free Jack, which in mm-hmm. some ways is laying, you know, some of the at least the technological and 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 whatnot groundwork to get to a movie like blade it started it started the it really started the uh cultural phenomenon of the bone jacker (laughs) (laughs) it's it's true yeah uh i've already forgotten about good job everybody (laughs) (laughs) go back and listen to free jack if you dare uh but yeah it's just it's it's funny to go back and read all the stuff about the making of this movie because they didn't expect anything from it I mean, it was literally just New Line Cinema throwing some money at a B-movie and seeing what stuck. Uh, But I guess Snipes took the role not because he thought the character was interesting enough or because, you know, big, big bad superhero. He literally looked at it and said, no, this is an opportunity for me to just murder a bunch of people on screen and be the good guy and have people cheer about it. Are you fucking kidding Mm -hmm. me? Yes, I'm in. And so that was his impetus (laughs) for doing it. It's smart. (laughs) Yeah. Think about apparently- think about this though, like like part of why it's successful, I think, is race because it's a black hero, and he's killing a lot of evil white people. I mean, could be, could be, and they're very sort you know, of not they're they're very Nazi like as well, very white. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah, so that yeah, yeah, pure bloods and all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but Wesley Snipes also like showed up right like he is he is in great physical condition he's kicking ass all over the place like wesley snipes sells the action in this thing yeah well the, my favorite There's a lot is- of weird robotic uh kind of like reactions like after he kills one vampire in the beginning he does this kind of fist pump but it it's like he's a robot yeah did you catch that it's like i, mm. I like some of his his physical motions i don't quite understand I guess. Yeah. It's yeah. He's also like, I can wear black sunglasses the whole time and be high as fuck and set and get away with it. <laughs> well, apparently uh, like he he came in and one of like the first days the producer, I guess in some interview later, said Snipes came in and just said, you know, are they like you are you ready to go? He's like, Yeah. He's like, also, uh, I don't see Blade talking very much. And they're like, oh, okay, cool, cool, <laughs> cool. So you just show up and kick ass. It's great. Yeah. So he played the very uh laconic quiet like Clint Eastwoody kind of thing man with no name aspect to it and it's true he barely has any dialogue and what dialogue he does have it's just basically oh okay yeah. cool move on <laughs> move on with your day yeah. <laughs> who'd, have, who'd have thought that like such great acting could come out of what's otherwise a tax professional <laughs> for the record for people that don't know Wesley Snipes went to jail for three years for tax fraud like because he didn't have to pay them. That was that was yeah. like his genius thing. Yeah, it's against the law. No, <laughs> yeah. you can't make me. 
Yeah. Yeah. So so Wesley Snipes in recent years has you know has been interviewed saying, Yeah, I think there's more stories to tell in the Blade universe, and Marvel yeah. agrees. That's why they've greenlit a totally different actor to play Blade in the yeah. MCU. <laughs> well, I mean he's so got he's got a rep. He can't use that to get his money back. He's gotten a rep, <laughs> which we can we can talk about in a little bit. But the the other big name in this one is Chris Christopherson, who just walks around like a cantankerous old fucking man yelling about shit like get off my lawn you goddamn vampire click click boom i mean that's his entire <laughs> role through the entire movie but he's like the q uh no he's like the obi-wan kenobi man. merlin role like he's the old I guy guess. that you know is gonna fucking die but has to teach the hero how to hero first yeah well if you right. watch the rest of the oh, series too it's like yeah. he's he's a very definitive death but they don't show it on screen so that gives them in film terms wiggle room shall we say sure. so the first Whoa. 15 minutes of Blade 2 is Blade rescuing him from the vampires, and oh, suddenly he's not okay, dead. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so it's, yeah. I, I, I didn't realize until you said that, though, how fucking Highlander this movie is. Right. He's absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Connery. Yeah, teaching yeah. him how to, you know, vampire kill, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, then the, and then the hematologist woman comes in. And she's like the swordsmith lady in Highlander, uh, even though there's no real romance going on. But uh, but yeah, very much modeled on Highlander. I I and, agree with that. And of course, the hematology thing is interesting. I think, and is a direct handoff to that whole underworld franchise where yes. you know it's supposed to all be about science, <sighs> but isn't. Yeah, I hate those. It's about the blood. So <laughs> <laughs> uh. But my favorite bits in this movie are like, because it's one of the first times where they took the notion of the vampires as sort of this Euro trash cult kind of a thing and just ran with it, which they would totally amplify in the underworld movies to the point where it would just become overly ridiculous. But in this one, it's <laughs> actually kind of fun to watch Stephen Dorff as Deacon Frost, the bad guy, sort of just run it like some sort of street gang. Uh and have all his henchmen and stuff. And you get the dad from Grounded for Life in there as the sort of the comic relief. And it's got one of my favorite line reads towards the end when they're talking about this like vampire deity going to come in and uh, just bestow them all with godlike powers. He's like, I'm going to be naughty. I'm going to be a naughty vampire god. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's just out of nowhere. And so it always makes me laugh every time I watch it. <laughs> And there's like the old school vampires that are like, no, man, this is how we do this. We 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 hide and we come out at night and we yeah. feed and it works. And there and are food. Why you gotta... What are we making treaties with our food? Yeah. <laughs> cattle. Yeah. The one thing they don't bother to explain, and I guess this is in some other cut, uh, but it's like, why do you want to wipe out the human race if they're your food source? And they don't ever really address that. And so when you watch the movie. Uh, you're like, yeah, wait a minute. You're literally just going to kill everything that you need to survive on the planet. Yeah, well, I guess I guess in that cut or in that version of the script, there was like, they were growing humans like, you know, like we grow cattle. Yeah. Um, and that, that was that was their explanation. So there was a, somebody bothered to explain, explain that at some point. Yeah, but uh, there you have it. But I like that it's just the, the villain character is jealous of Blade because Blade gets to walk around during the day and uh, enjoy all of the fruits of the vampirism without any of the 
the drawbacks as he sees them. And so then you get the scenes where they're like slathering themselves with suntan lotion, sunblocker, and like motorcycle helmets and stuff so they can <laughs> take the other vampire out at during the sunrise and watch him explode while they're all protected. I mean, it's like that was a nice little touch when I saw that. I'm like, that's, dude, if you're a vampire, that's got to be the worst way to fucking die. Like they pluck out your fangs <laughs> and then they make you burn up in the sun. <laughs> that's just cold, man. That's cold. <laughs> Seemed hot. Actually, but okay. Yeah. No. Wait a minute. Anyway. <laughs> oh. 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 Yeah. That's it. a whimper from Eric. He didn't like that one. <laughs> uh, but you know, the I think Wesley Snipes also helped choreograph some of the fights in this thing. If I read the really? credits correctly, yeah, because he's a he's a martial artist of sorts. I guess. Okay. Uh, I didn't know that. Mm. So that's the words. You- These are the moves I'm gonna do. I don't care what your fight choreographer said. I'm doing <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah, it's sort of and like yeah when now Steven's he gets a credit. Yeah, when Steven Seagal shows up in Alfred Justice and he's just you know whacking people with a pool ball or something. I mean, it's like oh, it's Kendo. Yeah, don't worry about it, bro. It's Kendo. So. <laughs> uh, but it's a fair clip. I mean, it's it's paced well. Uh, I've never not enjoyed it. It's not like my ultimate favorite, but it's passable. Uh, I yeah. It, I mean, it's in the movie in I watched the- immediately after Free Jack, so I can literally say you can do worse. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. In in these days, in this desert of you know watchable movies, it's on streaming services. It's good. You maybe you haven't seen it. It's yeah. Kill a couple hours, sure. It's it's fine. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just. <laughs> but when you look it'll at it'll dull lore. the pain of life for like a you know a small yeah. stretch. Look, yeah. look. All we're doing here is killing time, and if you're a time murderer like me, this is one way to do it. Well, kill that time. Uh then yes. the the gauntlet is laid, Brian, for you to finish the trilogy because no. I guarantee you, uh, it's astonishing to watch how the thing plays out. Because then you go on to Blade Two where you get Guillermo del Toro, a known stylist, and he throws so much stuff in there that winds up in Hellboy 2 and things like that. Uh, and it's basically just uh, a dirty dozen kind of a thing where Blade hooks up with the vampire hit squad to go after this ultimate vampire that's killing everything because uh, they've been trying to mutate the vampire gene and then it winds up with this like super serious uh, killing machine. Uh, that infects other vampires like zombies. I mean, it's just like the, it's like so overcomplicated to the point where it's just, you can't even think about it. It's like, just don't put that on the back seat, just kick some ass. And then everybody's cool. Uh, and then the third one has Ryan Reynolds. Who's like the male Amanda Pete. I mean, there's just nothing good about him well, until, uh, until, until, you know, like a- a- after, after uh, Deadpool, yeah, everything changes. But, but before th- that, it's like he was trying to convince you he shouldn't be working. Well, but this is the thing. If you watch Blade <laughs> Trinity, he's literally just Deadpool in that fucking movie. I mean, it's to a T. Mm-hmm. And he's admitted that, yes, it's basically just before he got Deadpool, this was like his thing to do. And he just cribbed everything from that for the Deadpool character. And he's called Hannibal King. He's like a, a basically a vampire who's been uh, cured. And so he's no longer a vampire, and now he's hunting vampires. But he's just the smart-ass, ass-kicking dude 
who can take some punishment. I mean, it's literally Deadpool. And it's I forgot all about that until I watched it again. I'm like, I don't remember any of that at all. <laughs> so it's so off-putting. But when you get to that one and you hear Pat Oswalt talking about what a just jackass Wesley Snipes was through the whole shoot, like he would just sit in his trailer and smoke weed and not show up. So all of the stuff that didn't require close-ups is just his stunt double because they just shot around Wesley Snipes not being in the scenes. <laughs> wow, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, and then he had the audacity to sue Goyer and the film company uh, for harassment on set and shit like that after the fact that they finally settled out of court. But like the whole thing is just a train wreck from start to finish. And it's just astonishing to go from Blade from 1998, which is a very solid B-movie action thing, to Blade Trinity, which is just this studio-driven piece of poop. I mean, it's just... In, in, in setting the short, template for yeah. the X-Men and the Spider-Man movies exactly. by the time you get to the third one. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, with Blade 2, you could tell they were totally going for like the X2 vibe, but it just didn't quite stick. Uh, it's definitely not the best one of the trilogy. So but, Avi uh, Arad should not be allowed anywhere near a third movie in a, in a series for a Marvel film, is what prob- we've learned. Probably not. Probably <laughs> I don't not. get that reference. Who, who's He's, he? Uh, He's the producer of all the Marvel stuff. He's the guy who owns the rights, and he's the reason why Spider-Man is still technically a Sony thing, yeah. right? Oh. Like, this this guy bought the Marvel rights to certain characters in the 70s when they weren't, you know, when they were cheap, and he, yeah, you know, he's this... Cashed in. He's, Good for yeah. him. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He's sitting pretty, that guy. But Anyway. Uh, but, but, yeah, and Norrington... Like, this was his sort of calling card to Steven Norrington, the director, because he just sort of blew out the gate uh, with this thing because it just did so much business that they didn't expect. And it became a thing, but apparently he was just a nightmare to work with. And he's the guy that went on to do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and just hasn't worked since. And then, like, nothing else. Like, apparently, yeah. he's, his other projects have been in, like, development hell for a decade, and then somebody else does them. Yeah. Like, more than once. Basically. So... <laughs> So it's, so it's just weird to see, but I guess he's the one that uh, had a lot to do with the visual look of Blade, and so he's the one that gave Blade all of the weird tribal tattoos and such that is now basically associated with the character. Like, after the movie came out, apparently they they reworked it so that the comic book version matched the story and character from the movies, which was not anything like the original. Like, showed up in the like the tomb of Dracula or something. And he's basically just a dude with wooden stakes and knives hunting vampires. And then over time he becomes this like weird mythical half vampire, whatever, whatever. But it was just a total black exploitation sort of thing that they just took and ran with. Uh, and now we get what we get. It's just a weird, weird thing. But uh, I don't know. All right. Blade. So is that about what we got to say about Blade? I mean, yep. yeah, there's nothing quotable from it, I wish. So it's just all fun <laughs> action and Chris Christopherson just being cantankerous. Blade 2's got an early Norman Reedus role, if you like Walking Dead. Uh, Donnie Yen's in that one. And then nothing to recommend for the th- third one. So. What about you, Eric? Um, uh, 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 no. All I, right. I, I mean, like, like the only thing I would I would say is... Uh, always bet on black, but it's the wrong movie. 
<laughs> so. Do you think do you think Passenger 57 or Blade, which one's the better movie? Passenger 57. Yeah, easily. I'm going to say yes as well. I agree with you. Cuz it's so stupid. I mean, that's the thing. It knows it's stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Blade is almost like it's its problem is it's like look how cool we are. And Yeah. If you have yeah. to say that, you're not. Yeah. It definitely teeters, <laughs> but I will give Blade this. It it has the best superhero landing image. And that's repeated throughout the whole series. And it's before they were really doing that, where the guy comes in off from the, the top on the jump and then lands in like the, the, the pose before he gets up and kicks ass. And Wesley yeah, Snipes. Yeah, they finally make fun of that in Black Widow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but Snipes just pulls it off. I, just, I, can't, I can't explain it. But it wasn't really something they did a lot of before then. And then suddenly it's like in every superhero movie. So there's so much stuff mm. in this where they went, okay, yes, tick this box, tick this box, tick this box, tick this box. And they wind up in all of these subsequent superhero flicks. It's just weird that this is the one. I don't get it, but whatever. So the boxes I always tick on this show is how I end the show. And that's by telling you to subscribe to the podcast. I'm going to check that box. Um, I tell you to, to rate Hulk. the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you send us if you send us suggestions or comments or anything, we'll do it. We're like fucking dancing monkeys. If you want right? us to like help you like 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 propose to your girlfriend, fuck it, we'll do it. We don't care. We need listeners. We are 200 episodes into this thing and we're running out of ideas, folks. So hit us up on Twitter. We're at MagHuge, M-A-G-H-U-G-E. Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram as the Magnificently Huge Podcast. You can email magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, you can find links to all of that stuff. All you have to really remember is maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. You can find links to all of that, all the old shows. You know the drill. 200 episodes. They said it couldn't be done. They were wrong. Putting the hug back into Magnificently Huge. <laughs> and like most episodes, when the tech fails, the E is silent. Hey, hey that's well done, sir. <laughs> 